0: Well, good morning, church, once again, and uh, grace to you all and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, it is a a privilege and an honor to be standing here this morning and to be able to share the Word of God uh, with each and every one of you. And um, let us just pray and ask God first to open up our hearts that the Word of God, which goes out and never returns back to Him void, would convict us and lead us to repentance. Father, this morning, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart, O oh Lord, will be pleasing in your sight. I pray, O oh God, that uh, you would convict our hearts, O oh God, that we may walk in a way that is righteous and honoring to you, God. And as we hear this word, O oh Lord, I pray that you and you alone, O oh God, who can teach us and mold us to it, would do your work through your spirit, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So... Today, I've titled this uh, this sermon message as Abundance in Obedience, as my brother Ian said. Abundance in obedience, the provision in his providence. And it's taken from John 21, verses 1 to 14, as uh, brother Bruno read for us. So, two weeks ago, Pastor Dale walked us through the end of uh, John chapter 20. As Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, and he provides Thomas with the evidence of the scars on his hand and the, scars, the wounds on his side, so that he would believe that Jesus Christ had bodily resurrected. And then the chapter closes by telling us that Jesus performed many other signs and wonders which are not written down. But as we know, there is not enough parchment church in this world that could contain all the things that Jesus did, whether it's just the miracles and the signs or just his ministry work. However, as we move on to the final chapter of John, we're given yet another glimpse into his miraculous works and the witness accounts of his physical resurrection. Now, we'll be breaking this 14 verses into three categories today. And as it comes up on the screen, I've broken it down as such. We're going to be looking at, number one, the call to obedience. The call to obedience. And then the second point is recognizing Jesus or recognizing the miracle. And the final one is the invitation. The invitation that Christ has put out there for all of us. So, without further ado, I just want to come back to the first three verses of setting the scene here, okay? So, come along as we dive into the scene that is taking place here, okay? The disciples now are in Galilee, and they're about to head into the Sea of Tiberias. I know I chose this photo uh, from Google. It's the best one that I could find, but hopefully it kind of helps you set the scene in your mind, okay? So, they're about to head into the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee, to do some... Fishing through the night. But why go to Galilee? You see, the disciples had, as you may say, a target on their backs for being followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus. And at this time, Galilee was a place where they had some measure of safety from Jewish leadership. But this also served at the place where Jesus would give them their final instructions, which we will see next week as we go to the text. So here we are. Peter and John perhaps uh, have given the disciples by now, you know, the full details of encountering Christ at the tomb and what they witnessed at the tomb. And also they probably heard from Mary, who was the eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot for them going on here. There's a lot for them to process. Nevertheless, here are the seven disciples that are gathered and probably feeling a bit lost and Aimless, you know, sheep without a shepherd just wandering and waiting. You could just picture Simon Peter just sulking, not being that same hot-headed, bold man that these other disciples knew him to be. So while somberly waiting, Simon perhaps thinks, okay, the best action or distraction would be to go fishing. After all, this was something that was very familiar to him, as well as some of the others who were with him. Can you relate to Simon? Can you relate to Simon? You know, when you've been in a place of a troubled heart or, you know, a troubled mind, and waiting around just doesn't seem to make it any better, but makes it even worse sometimes. So the best thing at a time like this would be maybe to keep busy, right? It could be doing whatever that gets your mind off of that problem. Maybe it is cleaning the house frantically. Maybe it is cooking endlessly, which is not a bad thing, okay? Or maybe it's just being engrossed with work, taking on meetings after meetings, after task after task, and overburdening yourself with work, so you don't have to think of the problem. So whatever it may be, the familiarity of doing something can sometimes ease that trouble or the anxiety. Therefore, Simon Peter, for him to go fishing, perhaps was that way of coping. Interestingly, as we read, Simon and the other disciples faced yet another obstacle that night. Things were not going as well as they would like it to go. You see, despite their skills and, you know, plenty of years and experience in fishing, they seemed to work all night with nothing to show for it. They exhausted themselves in the pursuit of finding a glimpse of success in the hope of filling a void that was unattainable. So you see, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this situation the disciples are in, it represents moments even in our lives when our efforts alone will be insufficient. It will be insufficient to trying to find a solution to something that requires divine intervention. So, and as we go through the text, we will see how our goals are achievable when we align in obedience to God for our will, for our lives. So, which brings us to the first point, which is the call to obedience. The call to obedience. So, now as we move on to verses 4 to 6, we will see a drastic shift that goes from the darkness of night to the light of day that brings hope. And this hope it comes as a result of obedience. So if you like to take down notes or if you like to highlight certain sections in your in your bibles you can title it as a call or the call to obedience. Now let's make some distinctions here, okay? Now this is a call to, to obedience and not a demand for it, okay? It's a call to obedience and not a demand for it, which means that there is a choice to be made here. You can either choose to obey or you can choose to disobey. It's not rocket science, it's not complex, it's pretty simple. But let's go back now to the scene where the disciples are at. So can you just picture along with me, I'm sure that these guys are feeling defeated you know, they, they, have been, they have been out since the break of dawn. Just think about it. They have been up all night trying to catch some fish in the efforts to keep busy, be distracted, and also to find some wages for their, for their livelihood. Yet there's nothing at all to show for it. There's no way for them to even have a moment of that cheer and that happiness or to forget about all that they were, that they were troubled with. Can you feel that pain? Can you feel that pain? I sure can. You know, many years ago, um, I was involved in in, in an accident that left me pretty devastated with no hope. And for nearly a year and a half to about two years, I was um, dealing with constant worry and, and the repercussions of that accident. And nothing at all seemed to help with forgetting that moment. No amount of trying to bury it with worldly distractions seemed to help. But on December 26th of the second year since that accident, something truly amazing happened in my life. And it was a day where Christ revealed himself to me and called me to follow him in obedience. And it was the day where I would never forget that specific day on December 26th Jesus stood and called out to me to a life of obedience in him. And church, I I stand here testifying to that and give him all the glory for what he has done. Because even with all that was going on in my life at that time, his call for my obedience allowed for a peace unlike anything that I'd ever known before. And the best part was that In my heart, I had the assurance that no matter the outcome, Jesus, he was before me. Jesus was beside me. He was above and below. Which now brings us to the show where Jesus stood 2,000 plus years ago. You can bring up the uh, verses on the screen. So 2,000 years ago and called out to the disciples. As you see in verse 4, Jesus says... Jesus stood on the show, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So again, coming back to the scene, at this point, the disciples probably have seen someone standing on the show, right? Looking their way. But as Scripture tells us, they could not recognize who it was. It could be for many reasons, the glare in the morning, you know, visibility, so many things, right? But this is also very similar to when Mary mistook Jesus in the garden at the tomb, isn't it? Or in in the book of Luke, when the two disciples who were headed to, uh, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, but uh, Emmaus Emmaus, Emmaus near Jerusalem, and they did not recognize Jesus, even though he walked with them for miles and he spoke with them until he broke bread with them at the table. Likewise, the disciples on the boat we're not able to recognize the glorified Lord at this point. So then Jesus calls out to these men. Take note that Jesus did not address these men necessarily in an equal standing. Right? Rather, he addresses them in a very affectionate way, almost as a parent would address the children, which perhaps brought some sort of comfort to the hearts of these troubled men. Then something interesting happens when these men who were probably feeling defeated and, and exhausted after such a long night were told to toss their net onto the other side of the boat. You see, the disciples at this point, they could have well chosen to ignore what Jesus was saying and not move the net at all. And considering that most of them were fishermen by trade with that experience. They could have chosen to be prideful and even fire back saying that they knew what they were doing. Now, most of us sometimes are not able to take instructions and we could be in the same position, right? I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this the same way for years, X number of years, so I know what's best, right? So likewise, they could have chosen to do just that, be prideful and even say that they knew what they were doing. Yet, in this moment, they chose obedience by tossing the net Onto the other side. You see, when Jesus spoke, they, they could have assumed that he was a man who maybe knew the fishing business in Galilee. Maybe, you know, him being in the area, they probably assumed that, you know, he knew the vicinity of where they were fishing and probably knew the, uh, the area that they could catch the most fish. Right? There's no need to doubt what he had asked them to do. Thus, as a result of disobedience, church the disciples caught, as we read earlier, 153 fish that were far beyond what they ever could have hoped for. You see, the abundance of blessing with the simple act of obedience is what we see happen here. But here's another interesting point to note. You know, when the Lord abundantly blesses, He also provides a way for that blessing to not be an inconvenience, Or a burden. I'll say that again. When the Lord abundantly blesses. He also provides a way for that blessing to not be an inconvenience or a burden. Now what do I mean by this? See the number of fish that were caught in that net. Could have technically broken it. right, And let some of that fish back into the ocean. Yet as we read it contained all 153 fish until it was brought to the shore. So to put it simply, God will not provide blessings unless he knows that you are able to handle it. And unless he himself equips you to handle it. Sometimes as believers, you know, we we cry out to God for many things, which rightfully so, we are called to do that. You know, we cry out to him for our needs and maybe even our wants. It could be finances, it could be health of a loved one, it could be uh, the mending of a broken relationship, or maybe even for a partner in life. But unless the Lord in His providence deems it the right time, or knows that it is something that you can handle, He will keep you waiting. And when He does allow for that blessing to come to pass, truly, church, He will provide you with the ability and the stability to handle it. You see, God's will and command for our lives might seem counterintuitive, most of the time, actually. But church, that is because His ways are not our ways. His ways are greater. But obedience to Him will undoubtedly open the door to His blessings. And what's important here is that the disciples recognize the presence of Jesus they recognize the presence of the miracle, which brings us to the next part of the text as we look at verses 7 to 10. Recognizing Jesus or recognizing the miracle. So come again with me as we visit the scene. Okay, to visit the scene at the disciples. So there's perhaps, you can imagine a lot of commotion going on at this point at the boat, right? Just imagine the excitement and the victory these guys might have been feeling. You know, they've gone through such a traumatic time and, you know, they were feeling defeated and lost even after spending all, morning, all night trying to catch some fish. But now they've caught an abundance. Just imagine that excitement, you know, while they're trying to hold that net together and even keeping the boat intact. But in the midst of all this excitement and making sure to even, like I said, balance the boat, the Apostle John, he recognizes the Lord Jesus You see, in a a moment that could have made him distracted by so many different things happening, he could have not recognized Jesus. But he not only recognized Jesus, right? And he not only recognized the miracle, he saw the source. He saw the source. Can you hear that excitement, church, as we read there? It says, it is the Lord. He turns to Peter and he says, it is the Lord, now, why would John direct this news to Peter, necessarily, instead of looking at everyone else? He directs it to Peter. There could be several reasons, but one that sticks out is that John perhaps was aware that Peter was hurting and broken since he denied the Lord before the crucifixion. You know, And having spent three years together, he would have seen that despair on Peter's face. You know, when you spend three years with someone, side by side, you know, doing whatever it may be, you get to know a person a little bit more intimately. You get to know their quirks. You get to know the things that make them tick. So likewise, we can assume that John knew how Peter was feeling. You know, that despair since since that night. But John also knew that from those in the boat, it would be Peter who would be the most rejoiceful for this news. And indeed, this news was so joyous to Peter, as we read, he puts on his outer cloak and he just hurls himself into the water, right? Why? Because he recognized and he realized that the miracle was in fact a sign that Jesus was present in their midst. He chose in that moment not to be just overtaken by the miracle itself, but rather to draw near to the Lord. Rather than be overtaken by the miracle, he chose to draw near to the Lord. Now, seeing the zeal of Peter would be impressive, right? It would be. It's impressive. We all hope for that. We all want that kind of zeal, you know, in any case just to run towards the Lord, to hurl ourselves towards the Lord in every case. But let us also understand one thing here. What the other disciples had to do in the boat was equally as important. And we're taking a small depth tour here, not necessarily a detour, but a depth tour. And I have to give credit to where credit is due. This this word came from Pastor John Piper, who uh, you might know of. Uh, He has a podcast, so he actually introduced this word for the first time this week. So I'm just, credit where credit is due, depth tour. So we're taking a small depth tour here. So you see, like Peter and John, there are those in the fold of Christ who have been given gifts by the Lord, which are sometimes somewhat distinguished. And then there are some of the fold of Christ who have been given gifts that do not necessarily come across as that extraordinary. But let us not mistake that church for a lack of faith or idleness. Like the other disciples in the boat, there are those who dutifully and, and faithfully that have to take the time to roll the boat ashore with all of that 153 fish. And this is not something that can be done in an instant, right? Neither can they just abandon the net and the boat and just jump in like Peter did, right? And just run after. Therefore, those who are called in such a manner, they serve, the, they serve where man's eyes do not always or often see. You know, such individuals don't serve to be seen or be made known. You know, they don't, they don't want to be known, but yet... All these individuals, whether the Peters and the Johns or the disciples on the boat who do what they're called to do dutifully and faithfully will, in fact, sit together with Christ in glory. Isn't that a comfort, church? Isn't that a comfort? We're all called in different capacities to serve the Lord. I say this because, you know, it is possible for you and I sometimes to not recognize the Lord's design when it comes to serving alongside each other. But as one body, aren't we all striving for the same goal? Which is what? To glorify God, right? It is to glorify God. You might be a Peter or you might be a John who God has ordained with those distinguished skills and those gifts. Gifts to teach, preach, uh, play instruments well, um, and maybe even to boldly go out and evangelize. Or you might be like the other disciples, dutifully, performing the task for the ministry that you might not be outwardly seen or even it might not be something that is pronounced as much whichever category you fall in the church remember that the goal remains the same as long as we are faithful and obedient and as we recognize the task that is entrusted to us by the Lord and we faithfully do it without turning back Turning back. Once you put your hand to the plow, you do not turn back. back. You do not turn back. Indeed, church, we will all be with Christ in glory. Why? Because He invites us into this privilege. He invites us to this privilege. Which brings us to the next slide. The invitation. The invitation, verses 11 to 14. Thus to those who are invited, there is also the calling to obedience. As we labor for the ministries that are entrusted by him alone, right? So coming back now to the scene where the disciples have now bought the boat to show. Okay, they've come, they've hauled all those fish. And Jesus is now inviting the disciples to have a meal with him. But what's interesting is that even though he's able to manifest bread and fish for these guys, he tells them... To bring some of the fish that they had caught. Seems odd, right? But here's why. You see, friends, the Lord is teaching us that faithfully and obediently trusting in Him. As we obediently and faithfully trust in Him, we receive the privilege of enjoying the labor of our hands. We enjoy the labor of our hands. Psalm 128, verse 2. As it comes up on the screen, you'll see. It says, you shall eat the fruit of... Of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed, and shall be well with you. But it does not mean that laboring for ministry is easy, is it? The pastors of our church, ministry leaders, elders, uh, board members—you you fully are well aware of this. The ministry is not easy. It takes faith. It takes trust. It takes patience. And God knows it does take plenty of obedience. And sometimes to even see that the fruition of that fruit coming into play may not even be in our lifetime. Right? We know that from Jeremiah, he cried out, he cried out, and he cried out, and he did not see a convert. Right? See, in the case of the disciples, when they had caught all the fish in the net, 153 to be exact, it wasn't easy for them to just haul it to show. As we know, it was, it was a lot, and it was, could have even toppled the boat over. However, when Christ commanded it to be done, it enabled Peter the strength and the ability to do just that. Think about it. It took six men struggling right, to bring this net with the boat to show. But as Jesus commanded, he also strengthened and equipped Peter to be able to handle that task he called him to. Likewise, when we are obedient, church, when we are obedient and faithful to our calling as fishers of men, God will not just only keep the net intact, but will provide the strength and the ability to bring these to shore. He will sustain you as you prayerfully labor on. Prayerfully labor on. You know, I, I, I grew up in Sri Lanka and I, uh, I went to a school that was founded by the Wesleyan brothers, the missionaries who came to Sri Lanka. And because of them, we have evangelical Christianity in Sri Lanka today. Um, and they founded a school which I attended. And the motto of this school actually was Ora et Labora in Latin. And uh, directly translates to pray and labor on. Pray and labor on goes in itself right to pray and to labor for the sake of the gospel for the sake of the ministry so as we pray and labor on because ultimately it is god alone who providentially ordains those who we are called to go and catch in the net right as 1 corinthians 3:7 says so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but god Only God who gives the growth. Only God who gives the growth. So right after this, the disciples, they bring the fish to Jesus. Right? So he invites them to come and to sit down and have a meal with him. And what stands out about this interaction is that, again, we see him treat them in an affectionate way. He brings affection into this and and even treats them as his friends which he has done so for the past three years of his ministry. Now that he was resurrected and glorified, he did not put them down in any way. He showed that same love. He did not say, come and and wait, or come and attend to me, but rather a loving invitation to come and just have a meal with him. Sit down and have breakfast. Again, we see that nurturing invitation that we did in the beginning. Dear friends, this... Invitation remains the same for all of us to this day. Christ our Lord truly is the feast of joy. He's the feast of hope. He's the feast of peace, love, and abundance in blessing. And He is joyfully inviting us all to come and to dine with Him. And if you haven't already heard this call or heard this invite, I plead with you would you open your hearts this morning? Would you open your hearts and allow for this invitation to enter in, that you may see him in glory and worship him for who he is. You know, there are plenty of temporal pleasures in this world today that make us hesitate to hear this invitation. But he promises, church, that his invitation is not burdensome. He promises that his invitation is not burdensome. Matthew 11, verses 29 to 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sadly, however, what what we might find difficult is the enticement of the world. It's the fleeting pleasures that are so difficult to let go. It's not, it's not the calling of God. It's not the calling to be obedient. But it is the ability to let go of the sin of the world. That I'm so captivated by. That we are so entangled in. It's so hard to let go of that show that we're watching. It's so hard to let go of a few minutes. To come and read the word of God. It is so hard just to come and sit quietly in the presence of the Lord. Because Why? all of the pleasures of the world have taken up that space. And so as we read, the disciples too at this moment seem to have a little bit of hesitation as they approached him. Even though there was the freedom for them to approach him and and know that he's their Lord and he's their friend, they had a bit of a challenge recognizing recognizing him in his glorified state. However, as scripture tells us, they dared not ask him because... In their gut, they knew it was him. They knew it was him. They knew it was the right thing to go to him, to sit with him, to enjoy him. And so they drew near to him. Another thing to note here is that this event was truly ordained by God's church. It was ordained that Jesus would physically appear to those who would go on to be the eyewitnesses to the death and the resurrection of our Lord, which led to nothing other than the inherent Word of God, right? which we have today, which is a privilege to have. When we look back and we know that these, these individuals who are preaching the Word of God did not have this physical book with them, but today we've been so blessed to have this with us, the Word of God that is living and active. Right? And Peter himself talks about this in the book of Acts, as recorded by Luke, he says in Acts 10, verse 41, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Praise God. Praise God that he did this so that we can have his word, that he used these men. Therefore, church family and friends, through Jesus' invitation to us, and as we labor in what he has called us to, the emphasis is to share this blessing with others, which illustrates the abundance that multiplies when shared. After all, what benefit is it having such an invitation but to keep it hidden or to keep it covered up? So as I bring this message to a close, I'd like to summarize the points that we just looked at. And number one, which is obedience bears fruit, or the call to obedience. Just as the disciples' obedience resulted in the miraculous catch, our obedience to God's word, church, can lead us to unexpected blessings beyond our understanding. And the second point is recognizing Jesus or recognizing the miracle. We must train our hearts and our minds to recognize Jesus' presence in our lives. And this means even when the going gets tough, Even when circumstances are challenging and and confusing and we don't understand and we cry out to God, God, why am I in this place? Why, oh soul, am I my soul distressed? Let us recognize that Jesus is in the midst of it. The last one is the invitation to knowing and sharing Him. See, the more we share our blessing, whether it is material, emotional, uh, spiritual, the more we experience God's abundance flowing through us. So let's remember that our faith journey is not solely about our effort. It never was and never will be. But about our obedience to God's guidance. Let's seek together, church, because we're in this together, right? We're in this together for His glory. Let us recognize that Jesus in every aspect of our lives knowing that His presence brings abundance, it brings purpose, and it brings joy everlasting. And may the story of this, you know, this miraculous catch inspire us to step out in faith, obeying His commands, and sharing Him and His blessing generously with others. And finally, church, let us pray for the wisdom and strength to live a life of obedience, recognizing the miraculous moments that unfold when, We align ourselves with God's will. So if you wouldn't mind, would you join me as we pray and ask God this morning for those three things, that we would heed the call to obedience, that we would recognize Jesus in our lives, and that we would hear the invitation and go therefore and make disciples. Father God, we just want to thank you, O God, for this privilege of your word this morning, O God. I thank you, first and foremost, for the men that you chose in your sovereignty, O God, that they would, Father, spend years in persecution and just because of this eyewitness account that we may have the privilege of knowing you more intimately, God, today. I thank you, O Lord, that by your grace, O God, we were able to look at your word. And I pray that if there's any area that you have convicted our hearts of this morning, O God, would you help us to repent and turn back to you, God. Help us to recognize you, God, even when the going gets tough. Help us to recognize you in circumstances that might seem confusing, O oh God. Because, Lord, we know ultimately that you are in control, O oh Lord, God. And help us, O oh Lord, in the same way to be bold. Help us to be bold as we share this good news, this invitation with others, in our families, in our, with our friends, with our colleagues. God help us to be bold, O oh Lord, and help us to know God as we as one body work towards one goal which is glorifying you. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk well with each other, to walk in unison, to walk in peace, O oh God, and to love each other, God, as, you've called, as you have loved us, O oh Lord. So we thank you once again, O oh Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that your will be done, and your kingdom come in Jesus name. Amen.